Join me, if you would, for this morning's scripture reading, uh, Psalms 103. Again, that's Psalms 103, Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles? The, Lord's, <clears throat> the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows him no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Ray Keen, and um, I am so excited to dive into Psalm 103 with you today. Uh, but just before we do, I'd love to share with you a quick update about the Canby Center. I noticed as I was coming in uh, that there's some barrels out in the lobby, and they are filling up with backpacks. If you picked up a backpack uh, and helped fill the barrels, thank you for doing that. Yeah, if you haven't participated in that yet, uh, just a quick word about what that is. We have uh, some low-income kids in our community who, as they start the school year, could really benefit from having a backpack uh, to be able to take their items to school. We will help fill those backpacks with some school supplies and other items. Uh, and if you want to participate in that, there's a couple ways you can do that. I think right now at Fred Meyer this weekend, there's like a 10% off coupon, and there's some ways where you can go through and pick up a backpack for about $10. So... There's barrels here at the church. There's also a couple barrels at Freddy's. So if you happen to be over there and you want to do that, you can just stop and pick one up, purchase it, and then put it into the barrel. Thanks, thanks for being a part of that. At the Canby Center, uh, we are celebrating 11 years of service, and there's a lot of things that are happening. Thank you. Tony, we could go to that next slide there. Uh, one of the things that I am so encouraged about is our Thriving Together program. 
This is something that began last year, about last summer, and uh, currently we have about 310 families who participate in Thriving Together. It's a little bit unique in that uh, we help to provide food and clothing and other support for families who are a part of the program, but in return, they agree to be a part of this community. They give back one hour of a month of volunteer time. They also agree to sit down with us early on and do a hopes and dreams coaching session where we ask them about their dreams and try to understand a little bit of what God has for them. And then we also ask them to take a finance class within the first year of the program. In the last year, we've had over 180 people participate in the finance class. I am so encouraged by that. And we are seeing, really, I think we're seeing authentic community built where people are coming and serving, sometimes maybe initially out of a little bit of obligation, not quite sure what to expect. But over time, we see many, many of them returning to give more hours than they need to because there's community there in relationship. It's, it is really, really special. So far this year, you can barely see the number up there, but 139,000 pounds of food has been redistributed through the Canby Center since January, and 52,000 pounds of clothing. If you've brought clothing to the center, thank you for doing that. I see some of you here who help with those areas. Thank you for participating in that. Tony, we can go to the next slide there. Um, I want you to know a couple things about Thriving Together because there's some uniqueness to it. Uh, you know, about 7% of the white people like me who live in our community live in poverty. But if you are Hispanic, uh, you are three times more likely to be in poverty in Canby. Um, it, it's just, those are just the statistics. Those are just the facts. And though we never turn anyone away, about 70% of those who come to us are Hispanic. I share that with you in part because right now at Bethany, where I stand here and where we're seated, we are within walking distance of where most of our Hispanic friends live in the community. I want you to know that. It's just a part of the reality, you know, within walking distance of the church here. The Canby Center is just down the road. And uh, I just share that with you to say it's a part of uh, those that we serve, and it's a special part of our Thriving Together program. It presents some challenges, too. So if you're bilingual, come see us. We need your help. <laughs> um, those hopes and dreams coaching sessions, you know, those have to happen sometimes with someone who understands Spanish. We go out of our way to translate uh, language uh, brochures, things like that, so that people can understand and connect with us no matter what their needs are. That's a part of what we do. And then uh, this is kind of worth celebrating, too, really. Uh, you've been a part of this. This is the van. You may see us around town. If I run a stoplight or a, if I go too fast, um, it, it wasn't me driving. <laughs> but this van is uh, a, truly a gift from God. We can pick up two pallets of either refrigerated or frozen food and uh, bring it back to the Canby Center and we have a cord, we can plug it into the wall and keep that van running just like you would a freezer. It is tremendous. It has uh, more than doubled our refrigeration capacity, which allows us to pick up from all kinds of providers all around uh, the Willamette Valley. And it's, it truly has been wonderful. On, for one example, on our Saturday food pantry recently, we just began adding in the last month milk and eggs uh, that we're picking up from Cuts for us here in town. So I think on Friday they picked up 80 dozen eggs and 90 gallons of milk. 
fantastic. Imagine the difference that makes for a family when you add up those little pieces. We think, actually, that those who are participating in the Thriving Together program oftentimes see hundreds of dollars of value each month, which allows them to save for the things that can be more, more important for them at times. So it's encouraging. Okay, next slide there. Uh, we have a new website. You can come check it out. If you've got questions about ways you can serve or volunteer, we'd love to have you visit there and just kind of see what's happening. And then one more over, Tony. Uh, we have a need for helpers in our kitchen. We have a wonderful space. We're preparing meals in the kitchen three days a week. I have a few people who are pitching in with that, but I could use another person or two who might be willing to come out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and help us prepare meals. That would be great. Could use some help with our clothing team and with our garden team in the back. So if, those are any, if those, any of those areas are of interest to you, just come and see me after the service or come and visit us. would love that. Okay, we can flip through to the next slide there. Psalm 103. Uh, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be able to be together with you and in your word this morning. Even it was, as it was read to us this morning, I'm reminded of your great love. It is uh, something that changes us. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see your word this morning, to embrace it, to soak it in, to enjoy it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is perhaps one of my favorite psalms. I mean, it ranks right up there with the best of the best. Um, I think I've mentioned before that one of the things I'm trying to grow in in my life is an ability to celebrate. Because life goes on. It, it kind of escapes our notice at times. The details and the blessings that we enjoy. I have a beautiful family. I love my kids. I love my wife. But I can go a week or two weeks without really remembering and soaking in and celebrating who they are. This morning, I had a, um, just a wonderful time with my daughter, our youngest, who's 10, Sila. We just went out onto the patio, and uh, she was telling me that this morning at our church across the way, she is reading a story to the kids. And so she read me the story, and it was great. And her, her puppy came out and joined us and um, snuggled up. And so we got a blanket, threw it out on the deck, and then we were just reading her story. And then I read to her Psalm 103. And it was just precious, you know, um, one of those times where, for me, it's to celebrate our love with each other. It's good. I do that in other ways, too. I have to practice, so it takes me practice. <laughs> but one of the things that I do in celebrating the love I have for my wife kind of grew out of, I don't even remember how it got started, but on our first year, our one-year anniversary, I sat down, and it seemed like there was a poem that I was supposed to write down. So I sat down and I wrote out a poem. Well, year two came around and I felt like, okay, Lord, is there a poem for year two? Well, we've been married for 21 years now, and each year I sit down and I write a poem to my wife. And I put it into a frame that goes up on our wall in our bedroom, and it's for her. It's a special thing that I do to remember every year who it is that I'm married to. And almost without uh, exception, it's a time where I'm looking back and celebrating what's happened in the last year in our lives, sometimes the challenges too. And it's a time for looking at what's happening presently right now. How are we really doing? 
And then it's also in the poem, oftentimes I'm looking to the future and asking God for future blessing and joy in our relationship. And uh, it, is, it is just a delight to be able to do that. It's good for me to be able to do that. Some years I come up against that, and Rachel and I have had a fight, you know, a couple days before our anniversary, and I'm sitting down trying to write a poem. I have to wait a few days. And then I sit down, and I can, you know, humble myself and remember, remember the blessings that are truly ours to remember the things that we enjoy in life together. It doesn't take long to see the grace that's been poured out into my life through her. So, you know, guys, um, so, you know, hope I do for you. I think we have a, oh, there we go. Okay. Um, but, you know, just for what it's worth, our anniversary dinner this last year was a couple steaks and, and some potatoes. So that's, that's what we do for anniversary dinner. Um, but we need to celebrate our love for each other. We need to celebrate our love for the Lord. This psalm that we're in today, Psalm 103, is a celebration of God's love for us. It's a celebration. It's incredible. So, in the Bible, we have three types of literature, narrative, poetry, and discourse. Narrative is story. Poetry is what we're reading today. And discourse is more direct teaching like you'd read of in the book of Romans. But today we're into poetry, and Hebrew poetry is incredible. It really is. Jewish literature places a high value on rhyming, but not with sounds. Rhyming instead with ideas, with thoughts. Thought rhyming is persistent throughout the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament. And we can flip to that next sl slide there, Tony. Sense rhythm, in a way, rather than sound rhythm. And parallelism is one way that that happens. I know that's too fine to see, but on the left side there, you'll see parallelism. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Those two thoughts kind of parallel each other. They complement one another. And our psalm, Psalm 103, does that almost without exception throughout the psalm. It's pretty amazing when you look for it. Not just Psalm 103, however, but all of Jewish poetry does this same thing. Parallelism comes through. And then on the right side there, you can see some chiasm. Chiasm, in a way, is another type of parallelism. And all it is is this sense in which we have an idea and we come back around to it. So our author begins with praise the Lord, and he ends with praise the Lord. He touches on righteousness, and he circles back around to righteousness. He touches on love, and he comes back to love. And in the middle there, we'll talk about this this morning, but there is almost like a speed bump. He puts, in some ways, his most important emphasis in the middle of the psalm, in the middle of this poem. And if you, if you can't remember anything else about my message this morning regarding the way that this poetry works, just think about it this way. The book of Psalms, which is poetry, sits in the middle of your Bible. And I think there's some intention in that. I think God wants us to remember the heart of this relationship with him and what it's supposed to look like. And the Psalms do that like no other books of the Bible. It's incredible. 
So, on a side note, just thinking about Jewish poetry for just a second. You know, uh, in English, if I write a poem like I have to my wife, if I give that to someone and say, now would you translate this into Japanese or Arabic? It's going to lose a lot of meaning, isn't it? Because there's some power to the rhyming of the words and the way they sound together. But in Jewish poetry, they are rhyming with thoughts and ideas. And so it is so, so much easier to translate into multiple languages. It's almost like the Lord had that in mind as he chose the Jews to carry this message out into the world. It's wonderful. These poetic elements augment the beauty of the message that they carry, but they're not meant to replace it. You know, David is the author of this psalm, and it's David the shepherd boy who was chosen by God to be king, who slaughtered Goliath. David who committed adultery with Bathsheba. David who was a murderer. This is the David who's writing the psalm. In a way, you could think of him as little D. David, and he points us toward capital D. David, Jesus the Messiah. The scripture says that the Messiah would be born into the house and line of David, and the author of this psalm is David. 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23 are just a few passages which point out the idea that Jesus would be in David's line and would somehow have connectivity to him. And I think if you read the Psalms, I want to encourage you to look for that connectivity. In one sense, in Psalm 103, we have David who himself is writing and expressing his appreciation, his praise for God. But in another sense, we have capital D, David, Jesus expressing his relationship within the Trinity. Psalm 102, which precedes our passage this morning, mirrors the language and mirrors the life of Christ. Not only do the Psalms shape our response to God and the challenges and blessings of life personally for us, but they also reveal to us something about the character and the nature and the life of Jesus Christ. And they do that in ways that we don't get through the other Gospels. It's really powerful. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, who once spoke to 10,000 listeners without a microphone, this is what he had to say about Psalm 103. As in the lofty Alps, some peaks rise above all the others. So among even the inspired Psalms, there are heights of song which overtop the rest. This 103rd Psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with ruddier light than any of the rest. It is as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, and its golden fruit has a flavor such as no fruit ever bears unless it has been ripened in the full sunshine of mercy. Our attempt at exposition is commenced under an impressive sense of the utter impossibility of doing justice to so sublime a composition. We call upon our soul and all that is within us to aid in the pleasurable task, but alas, our soul is finite, and all of our mental faculty far too little for the enterprise. 
There is too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is as one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. And so this psalm is, this morning, beyond me, beyond our ability to unpack it and understand it and soak it in, but kind of like sitting at the coast and watching a beautiful sunset, I'm compelled to take it in anyway, as much of it as I can, that it would strengthen me, that it would change me. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me this morning as we dive in. And so David says, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. David begins by calling his inner self to praise God. This is an intimate call to himself. And worship is much more, of course, than the songs that we sing on Sunday morning, isn't it? It is the way we interact with God in our life, Monday through Saturday as well. You know, I came to Christ when I was 17 years old, and up until that time, I really hadn't sung. Singing wasn't a part of our life in our home. And I remember after coming to Christ that I sat down in a group of believers as we sang songs of worship together. Oh, my goodness. For the first time, having the ability to express with my heart and my emotions, my words, who God is and what he means to me. It was powerful for me. Praise is the call of David to his soul. And it's interesting, you know, in Psalm 103, there is not one single request that David makes of God. Not a single petition, not a request for a neighbor's, you know, uh, illness, not a, not a prayer request for our nation or our uh, challenges. I think sometimes it's really good for us, really healthy for us in our relationship with the Lord to simply come to him with a posture of praise. And so I wonder, how do you do that? How do we do that? One way I do that is on a monthly basis, I take a day a month and I get away. I don't work. I get in my car and I drive to Mount Angel or I drive to Trappist Abbey or I drive to go take a hike. And it's a day for me dedicated to spending time with the Lord, to hear from him, to listen, to put my soul in tune with him again. And some days... My soul is so longing for that that I hardly get out of town and I'm in tears. I might have a worship song on the radio and I got to pull over because I'm not, I'm not going to be able to see straight. God is so good to meet us when we meet him in praise, when we remember who he is. It orients us. It directs our life. Look at these next verses. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Here we have parallelism again, but it's happening in a way that's like a stepladder. Can you hear him exclaiming and proclaiming 
the, the love and the praise that he has for what God has done. He's reminding himself of the benefits his soul enjoys in this relationship with God. Forgiveness of sins. How many exactly? All of them. Healing from disease. How many diseases exactly? Well, all of them. Remember, David the murderer. Remember, David the adulterer. This is the man who's writing these words. All will be forgiven and all healing complete for the soul that fears God. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. You know, redeem isn't a word we use often these days, but it is that idea, that idea of regaining possession, buying back. It's as though God has bought us back to himself. And he redeems us from what? From the pit. What is this pit? What does it mean? Well, it has the idea of a pit that's dug in the ground that an animal would fall into, like a snare, like a trap. That's exactly what the enemy wants to do for us, is to ensnare us in a pit. In other places in the scriptures, this word refers to hell. What has he done? He has redeemed us from the pit of hell, from the snare of Satan. And he has not only done that, hasn't left us in that place, but he has crowned us with his very nature, his very, very character of compassion and love. It's powerful. These words, these characteristics are marked in the life of Christ like they are just in incredible ways far beyond in my own life. Jesus brings these to light. He not only leaves us in that place, but he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We find satisfaction, strength, freedom in relationship with God. In Psalm 102, there's a contrast. Here we are in 103, we're talking about soaring like an eagle. But in the psalm right before it, Psalm 102, it's talking about the life of an afflicted person. Clearly speaking of Christ. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. Remember I said these psalms, they, they speak to us of the life of Jesus as well as the author and in this case, we are seeing that contrast between the challenges and the affliction that Jesus experienced, and yet the blessing and the praise due to God for bringing us renewal and life. To find renewal in God is to find life's purpose and the freedom and energy to pursue it. That's what God offers to you and to me. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Single verse here, but I can tell you there are hundreds of verses throughout the Bible which talk about the way that God rescues the poor and the oppressed. All you have to do is look at the, the picture of the Israelites in Egypt and the way that God rescued them out underneath the hand and the regime of Pharaoh. God has a passion, has a heart for people who are hurting. 
And Jesus, when he walked this earth, seemed to go out of his way to find those people. You remember, he stood up in church one day and read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when he had finished reading the psalm, or excuse me, reading the scroll of Isaiah, he sat down in the synagogue and said, this is fulfilled in your hearing today. That is what Jesus came to do. And, you know, in my work at the Canby Center, what, what I get to do, what we get to do together there is to look for the people who oftentimes are overlooked. We get to look with eyes of compassion and love to have care for those who would otherwise go unnoticed or would experience lives of oppression or challenge and struggle. When Jesus walked among us, those are the very people he seemed to come alongside, so much so that, man, that's kind of what he got blamed for, was that he was known as as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He seemed to look out for people who were in trouble. Verse 7 says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. In Exodus 33, Moses said to the Lord, Now show me your glory. He wanted to understand who God was in his character and his nature. And the Lord responded with similar words that we have here in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is the way God describes himself to Moses really in the first time that we get a, a self Self-revelation of who God is in his character in Exodus chapter 33. And here we have it again as a reminder of the character, the essential nature of who God is. Have you ever met someone who says, you know, I, the Bible's great. I, I really love the New Testament because in the New Testament we have this God of love. But you know, the Old Testament it just seems like he's always so angry all the time and he's like killing people and it's just, it just... There's so much judgment in the Old Testament. I really prefer the New. Not even sure maybe if the Old Testament is trustworthy. But here we have a passage this morning that's telling us about the character of God and who he is. It's proclaiming his love. And we can see it clearly. And if you fast forward to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, you're going to see meek and mild Jesus who's coming to judge the earth. And he will return in power. And when he does, it is going to look quite different. So it's good for us to read our Bibles and understand the whole of what's here, to soak it all in. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are one and the same. And the way that we can understand who he is and his essential character and nature is shown to us on the page here. He abounds in love. Verse 9, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. I think before I was a Christian, I would have said to you that anger was the best way I could have used to describe who God is. That's, I just figured he was probably pretty upset with all the things that were happening down here. And... I think I probably would have said that he was most upset with me 
and the ways that I had let him down. So there's this sense in which we can think that God is angry. But here's the incredible part. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 10. What? This God of righteousness and justice that we just read about doesn't blast us for our sin. Why doesn't he do that? Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. He doesn't blast us because he loves us. I mentioned that there is chiasm taking place in the structure of this psalm. This isn't unique to Psalm 103. There are many psalms and many places in Scripture. Uh, Jonah, there are other places in Scripture that highlight poetry and bring out this kind of chiasm. And the author has intention in putting this speed bump right in the middle. And I think it's a reminder for you and I of the love that God has for us. For as great For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. This is an astronomical kind of love that he has for us. It's meant to grab our attention. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Top to bottom, east to west. I'm so glad that it's phrased this way. You know, you can... You can travel from the North Pole to the South Pole, 12,500 miles, and you can arrive there. But if you get into a plane today over at Aurora and you start going east, if you could stay refueled, you are never going to arrive at east. You are going to keep going. That is the way God has removed your sin from you. It is infinite. It is complete. His forgiveness is amazing. God didn't take my sin and bury it in the backyard. He moved it to the other side of the universe. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass and he flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it. And it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. He has compassion on us. He loves us. He remembers our situation. I remember being a young boy and my brother there, and I remember getting dressed up in these polyester suits. It was 1975, and I was three. And I remember turning and asking my mom, is Daddy hot in the box? My father had just passed away. As a three-year-old, I had no way to understand why he wouldn't keep going on the way that he always had gone on, why he wouldn't be a part of my life like he had always been a part of my life. Death is like that. It, it, It interrupts and invades, in a way, our lives. Every one of us in this room, like dust, like grass, like a flower of the field, will fade away. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. We don't like to think about that in America. We'd prefer not to uh, talk too much about death and dying, but the truth is Scripture is saying here to us that he has compassion on us. He knows that our days are short. 
And ever since that day, when I remember, you know, my father's death, he died when he was 55. You know, I thought, I only have a short time here. I might not live past my 50s. But even if I live to 100, I only have a short time here. Each day matters, and what I do with it matters. Notice the contrast, verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. The contrast between our short lives and God's everlasting love. His love is with us if we fear him. Now, fear is mentioned three times in our psalm. This isn't the kind of fear that you think of being scared of something. This is the reverence. This is respect. It is humility and honor to God. It's that kind of fear. It's the life that says, God, I walk in relationship with you. And I am so glad that he promises to us not only blessings for us today, but also down through the generations to not just our children, but our children's children, to our great-grandkids. That's incredible. We can trust the Lord with our children. We can. Now, is this a guarantee that our kids won't have struggle and challenge? No, it's not a guarantee. But it's a principle that is solid and trustworthy that we can rely upon and come back to and remember that God is good to us and he will be good to our children as well. And it's also a reminder to me that what I do today matters for my kids in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. How I interact with the Lord now matters then. And in closing, I just look at these last few verses. You know, David has been writing and he's going along and he begins with his inner soul, his inner life, and he takes us out to this broader scope and now he's going to widen all the way out. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I love the way that this psalm concludes because it reminds us of God's all-encompassing power. It is beautiful to consider that we have a responsibility to praise the Lord. And it is good to praise the Lord. It's good for us to do that. But there is something far more than that to it. That is, we join with all of creation in expressing praise to Him. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg with regard to what He is worthy of. We just get to dabble, in a way, in that. And so my challenge for you is this. If we could flip to that next slide as we close up. What gets in the way of you celebrating God? When was the last time that you took some time apart from either your normal day or your normal week or your normal month to be with the Lord and to praise Him? I don't know, maybe... Maybe some in here like to sing in the shower. That's great. 
Maybe you like to start your day in prayer. Maybe it's just opening your Bible and allowing God to speak to you through the word. Maybe it's uh, having a listening posture throughout your day and responding with gratitude to the things that you're experiencing as they happen, as they roll through your life. That's what relationship looks like. When and where do you go? Where does that happen for you? Do you know how to tune your heart to what it is that the Lord is doing? Have you found those ways and those moments? Uh, For me, it's important to take time away. I don't do that very well when I'm in the middle of a busy day at work. It's hard for me sometimes when it's, you know, it's 5 o'clock and I'm coming home and the kids are kind of half spent and I'm exhausted and now we're trying to make dinner and, wow, Lord, let me think about for a second, who are you again? (laughs) But if I can take time and carve it out somewhere in my calendar to listen, to be with, to experience, to remember, as David has remembered this morning, then I'm renewed and I am changed. So I'm going to ask you to participate with me in this sermon for the next minute, and it's very simple. What is one thing that you are grateful for this day? Anybody can share. Who wants to be first? Family. Bethany, yes. Salvation. Health, his love. What else? Say again, Don. Forgiveness. Yes. The Word of God. His provision. Yes. I'm thankful that you have a wonderful pastor. You do. You know, I get to meet with Jeff about once every week or two for prayer. And uh, it is truly a blessing uh, to do that because he loves you, and it shows. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We're thankful that David remembers you and embraced you. And Lord, help us in our days, in the time that we have, to live in step with your spirit. Help us to... Reflect on what you've done for us and who you are to us and the blessings that will continue to flow into our lives because of what you're doing in and through us. We give you thanks for these things. We praise you. We pray that you would uh, just bless and strengthen and renew us this day. In Christ's name, amen.